uh, there's a lot of guys like Dan Miller. He'd go, well, you remember that spring change we made last year? I'm like, no, no, I don't, Dan. You give me a spring, I put it on. Bringing you behind-the-scenes perspectives of the motorsports industry, this is Humans of Racing. Hello, and welcome to Humans of Racing. I'm your host, Kaveh Akbari, and we have an exciting show for you today. This is the first of what we hope will be several podcast episodes where we dive deep and get to hear the stories of what goes on in the various motorsports paddocks around the world. If you're a current follower of Humans of Racing, thanks for joining us on this new platform. And if this is your first time hearing about us, check us out on social media. The username is Humans of Racing 5, and that is the number 5. And if you search Humans of Racing on YouTube, you'll find a few dozen video interviews that we've done with various people in the motorsports industry. Just excited to be joined today by Sam's Goldsmith. Sam, how are you? Doing well, man. Doing well back here. Uh, hanging out, getting ready to start the Formula 3 season here. But yeah, doing well. All right, right on. Uh, I was supposed to ask you, what are you wearing right now? <laughs> <laughs> I'm fully clothed, but thank you for asking. <laughs> the beauty of podcasts, we have uh, yeah, no idea if you're lying right, or not. No, I am fully clothed, uh, shorts <laughs> right. and a t-shirt. But the next time, you never know. My, uh, All right. Uh, yeah, so we'll see. Once we get some, once we get some video, then maybe we can introduce some nudity. I'm not sure. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's great having you. For those that don't know, Sam has been working in the motorsports industry for. A couple of decades now, is that correct? Uh, I don't know. That sounds like a long time, but yeah, yeah quite a while. <laughs> uh, quite a while. And I know uh, a couple of years ago, you joked that you were retiring from racing, but you still seem to be collecting a lot of paychecks from different racing teams. Yeah, it's a, it's a tough gig, and it's it's good money. You know, I mean, a little side money on. Uh, I don't do much big car stuff anymore, indie car stuff. Uh, yeah. All just Formula Three, Formula Four, just some smaller stuff, and just to stay busy. And and really, I I don't know how much longer I'll do it. You know what I mean? But it's been a good run, and I still, uh, like I said, I'm headed for a week trip to Pittsburgh here shortly to start off the Formula Three season. So that should be exciting. Right on. So on this first episode, we're going to get to know Sam a little better as I, I think he's got a lot of cool stories that he can share with us uh, with his time working in racing. And then we'll take uh, a little bit of time to remember a dear friend of the racing community who uh, just passed away about a week ago, uh, Morris Nunn. So with that said, Sam, uh, why don't you just tell us a little about yourself, where you're from and how you initially got that racing bug? Well, you know what? from a small town in California in the middle of the desert, uh, Barstow, California, better known for the midway point between Los Angeles and Las Vegas. Yeah. And, and being out there is a lot of dune buggies and motorcycles and whatnot. So I was interested in that at an early age and Ontario motor speedway was open at the time. Riverside international speedway was open at the time. And, uh, I was fortunate enough. My father enjoyed it. So we went, you know, and I saw, uh, the drags at Pomona with the dragsters when the engines were in the front and um, the Johnny Lightning special go around Ontario, you know, and it just always, you know, and um, I raced some things. I, I raced uh, motocross and uh, off-road trucks, a little bit of circle track stuff. Uh, so I always just had a kind of a racing bug. And, you know, that's never really sought to do it professionally at, you know, any level. So, right. you know, that's kind of where I got the thing. So with that said, you weren't seeking to do professionally, and yet you have done it for, for quite a long time. Can you talk about how you got that first job in professional racing? Well, in the off-road racing thing, uh, I worked with a team, Baldwin Racing, 
uh, trophy trucks and whatnot at the very beginning series uh, of the trophy truck uh, era. Uh, really, really hot rod trucks for the time. And then I went to a place called Mirage Racing with a guy named Bill Varnes, a great guy. He We prepared, race prepped customer vehicles, and then we also supported a couple of the customers at the off-road events. So I ran through that for a while, and then um, my pop passed away in 94, and I said, you know what? I don't want to be an electrician slash race car mechanic guy anymore. I'm going to go try and go do this, you know, and uh, sent out some resumes. Uh, one of them was to a place in Bakersfield, California, not not far from Barstow, Doricot Racing, Indy Lights team. I had no idea that Roger Mears was the team manager at that time. He mm-hmm. knew Bill Varnes. We had basically raced against each other, uh, you know, and I'd known of Roger Mears a long time being around the desert, Mears gang. Uh, so that's how I got my break from off-road racing to that was Bill Varnes' uh, contact with Roger Mears and Bill saying, yes, you know, Sam's a good man to take, he would take me into battle or whatever, you know, any day. So and Roger, he, he called me up and I went up there and and there it was. So I started on uh, Indy Lights team with uh, Bob and Phyllis Dorcott. Um, yeah, it was a good deal. I, yeah, it was a good deal. So you mentioned, you know, kind of growing up in the in the, in the desert of South, Southern California and the Mears gang, obviously a, a very big deal in the area. Uh, was there any sort of being starstruck by the idea that, holy crap, I'm going to interview with, with Roger Mears? Or was it just like, yeah, you know, he's just another guy? Well, you know what? I try to always talk to everyone like they're just another guy. I try not to be too starstruck, but that's just how I roll. But the yes, I had much respect for Roger Mears and uh, and everyone in that shop did. And, and when I finally found out that he was the team manager, I was like, oh, my. You know, I was nervous anyhow about going to yeah. go big time, <laughs> in my mind, big time, you know, motor racing, you know, and uh, traveling and uh, around the country. And so in my mind big time motor racing. So, uh, I was, I was a little apprehensive and nervous anyhow. And then, uh, I think Roger, one thing is we had some common ground and I was a bit older. I started the deal a bit older than everybody else did. So, so mm-hmm. we talked a little bit more like man to man, you know what I mean? Than than employee to, uh, to boss. So it worked well, you know, I'm, I was fortunate to work for them and, and enjoyed every minute of it. Very cool. Um, what sorts of work are you doing today? You mentioned some Formula 3 stuff that you're doing next week. Yeah, this week, the Formula 3 series, uh, it's FIA sanctioned series. It's uh, starting its first North American uh, race is coming up, I think, this next weekend in Pittsburgh. The cars are just arriving, just being assembled. Um, so these guys, uh, John Paul Southern Jr. has asked me to help them out and i think the kid's a hot rod and uh i'm gonna go and try and help them out and see what we can do and means it's a brand new series and try to everybody's kind of on level ground and uh we'll see what we can get done all right well very cool so now that we uh know you pretty well let's transition to talking about mo nunn uh you had the opportunity to work for him for three seasons and during that time you saw the highest of highs on motorsports and also some of the lowest of lows uh as for some background on mo 
he was probably best known for engineering the Champ Car Championships for Alex Zanardi and Juan Montoya at Target Chip Ganassi Racing between 1998 and 2000. Prior to coming to American Open Wheel Racing, he spent the 70s and 80s working in F1. And after his three-peat of championships with Ganassi, he started his own Champ Car and eventually IndyCar team in 2000. And Sam, you joined that team in its second year. Uh, how did that opportunity come about? And just kind of talk about the the mindset of, you know, taking on this opportunity, moving from the West Coast to Indy, uh, just kind of your thought process through all that. All that. Well, it's weird. Uh, in their, their initial season, which I guess would be 2000, I was in mm-hmm. Indy Lights, and it was in Milwaukee, uh, two guys, myself and another guy, coming down in an elevator. Uh, this guy, Kenny Ferris, uh, the late Kenny Ferris, tragically passed away in a car accident several years back. But he said he worked for Morris from start to finish. And he said, hey, we're always looking for good guys. You know, if you ever think about, you know, moving up. And I was like, well, that's cool because he didn't know me. You know, I just right. were two guys in an elevator, you know. So... I finished the 2000 series, uh, 2001 series. We're in Monterey, Mexico uh, with the lights team. Uh, Things went sideways, didn't go as it probably should have went and whatever. So I got their cars ready for them, helped them to get ready for Long Beach. And that was the end of my deal at, uh, at Doricon. So Mm -hmm. I saw my mind set was to get with Morris Nunn and Alex Zanardi. That's, I said, why I want to be a part of that. So Mm -hmm. I I knew no one. Uh, I had one name, guy, Brad Philby. Uh, I think I got from a guy who had worked for them at PPI or Cal Wells or somewhere. Uh, So I just, I just emailed him a squeaky wheel grits of the grease, you know? And so I I watched their events and I said, Hey, you got to look pretty racy or whatever the circumstances were, you know, as too bad this weekend or man, great stops, whatever it was, you know, and Hey, Mm -hmm. keep me in mind if ever something comes up. So, you know, one day, um, he says, Hey, uh, I'm going to fly you back here for, for an interview. I was still in Bakersfield. So, Mm -hmm. uh, I flew back and uh, it was the first plane flight I ever missed. Uh, <laughs> flying out of Bakersfield, <laughs> flying out of Bakersfield, an airport where you walk out on the tor- tarmac. Literally, the guy shuts the gate. He goes, "You can't, can't," and you just walk out on the tarmac. And he says, "You can't go out there." I said, well, "The plane's right there." He said, "Yeah, but it's you know the time. That's it. A quick gate." I'm like, "You're kidding me." So <laughs> I had to call this lovely lady, Michelle Budenbaum, the travel PR gal, and all that at Morris's, and said, "Man." My name is Sam. I'm supposed to be there, you know, tomorrow for an interview and I'm going to have to be there the next day because I've missed this flight. <laughs> and uh, so she, she took it well and, uh, and, you know, rebooked a thing and I flew out the next day. And, but those days it's kind of, it's not like that much now. I don't think they, they flew me from California. They right. put me up for two weeks and it was, it, well, I guess once I had, once I was employed, they put me up for two weeks and gave me a car to drive and it was very nice. So, wow. Yeah, it was very nice. But that, things have changed quite a bit since then. That was it was very different, uh, very different deal then. So, um, you know, they essentially took. I don't want to say they took a chance on you because you you had you know some references and a reputation in the paddock, but uh, they kind of went out on a, on a limb to spend all this money to to get you out there. And first impression, you missed your flight. <laughs> That's right, right. Oh, oh my God, how can we count on this guy? Yeah. yeah so, <laughs> first flight I ever missed in my life, and I think I've 
I don't think I've missed one since actually, but Last uh, <laughs> yeah, or on my, on my end, maybe I've missed some connections, but I don't think I've, I don't think I've ever missed right. one on my end. So you're officially hired. What is your job title at this point? Uh, you know, I was, I was basically the third mechanic body work, uh, gopher guy, you know, and, uh, I took care of all the body work, the stickers, the, although in those days in champ car, you still, they still had a lot of winglets and, uh, gurney flaps and a lot of different stuff. It was pretty open aerodynamically. So you could do a lot of things. So just keeping track of all that stuff and repairing mm-hmm. it if it was broken and stuff like that. So not a lot of hands on the car at that point. Okay. So you packed up, moved from the West coast to Indy was there any sort of concerns or fears or was it just, you know, whatever, man, let's do it. Yeah, it kind of was just let, let's do this. You know, I was a small town boy and stayed in Barstow for a long time and, uh, left my girlfriend out here and she understood. She, uh, was a race fan as well. She, she loved the whole deal. Uh, left her out here, out here or out West for several years before she made it back here, but she's back here and we're still back here and it was good. But it was it was it was a little daunting not to know not to know anybody uh, I knew one name when I got here you know and then yeah. ended up uh, looking for an apartment and one of the guys in the shop uh, John Wayne Gape he said well I got a, I got a room in the apartment you know and mm-hmm. so I, I stayed with him and, and that was that was it I was in big time racing you know it was, it, was, it was awesome that's cool so the environment of the team itself whenever people speak about the team they can't help but smile when reflecting on their time there so what was the environment like in Monon racing you know it was i had never been anywhere else other than dorcott right so i didn't have a lot of frame of reference but for me it was it was great you know they had a, a bunch of great guys uh, being a second year team they had a uh a bunch of at that point even seasoned guys you know they, they had dave poplaris and the as the chief on uh, donnie lambert uh, tom bassey kevin k doug keller a bunch of good guys who had already been in this in the deal for several years on other teams so they were they were they were pretty well uh, equipped uh man wise and everybody got along great it was it was it was a good deal you know it, honestly we it, it was, like I said, it was a different deal than it is than now. We, we, a young Chris Hogue was there. Uh, uh, yeah, we, he's still we, young. we had, we had a, yeah, he's still young guy. We, we had a miniature golf tournament one season and, uh, he brought, Chris Hogue brought a jacket that was, uh, belonged to somebody from, uh, I think Joe Perry or I, I don't know. His dad was a rock guy, you know, so he had this jacket. So he brought this green jacket. We took it around the, the whole year with us in the semi truck and we play miniature golf, uh, you know, for winning the green jacket. So <laughs> there, was, there was still quite a, we still could have a little bit of fun. And, you know, now it's, it's, it's pretty much in and out, uh, yeah. uh, now it's, it's a bit different deal. Yeah. So Mo Nunn, obviously a huge name in the industry. What was he like to work with and how did, how did, what sort of pride did you have kind of representing that brand? It was great. Uh, and I think that, uh, I think that everybody worked there would say the same thing. You know, Morris was a, a pretty down to earth guy. You know, he was, he was, uh, old school. He, he would lean down at, uh, on the ground and put his arm on the side pod and talk to the driver. And then he would go talk to the other driver in the same fashion. And he would say, why are these cars not the same temperature? 
mm-hmm. you know, and they weren't, you know, he would just blow it, just feel it with his arm, you know, and then yeah. he, after a race, whatever the setup had gone wrong or whatever had happened, he would come out to the car and have, take the springs off the, the dampers, put a tire on it, lift it up and let go of it to see how fast it came back down to, to see the, how the valving was. He didn't want to see it on, on a computer or he didn't want to see any of that. He, he wanted, he wanted to lift it up and then let it fall and say, okay, it's, it's not coming down fast enough. Or, you know, that's how he was, you know, uh, great guy. I, a man, a few words. He, uh, I, yeah, man, a few words, but golf, forget about it. Golf all day. (laughs) <laughs> just park the car uh, and talk about golf we one time we got a huge flat table and uh set this flat table up i mean a huge flat table it's perfect flat steel the first thing on there were golf balls he wanted to check the trueness uh of golf balls so that's the first thing we put <laughs> on this on this huge uh steel plate where morris rolling uh golf balls down there to see to check the you know the trueness of the balls wow classic yeah classic <laughs> that's funny yeah so, he was he was a good guy yeah so in the early years of, of mona on that first season they were running tony Kanon, who you know a race winner but he hadn't really he's not the big name that he is today and so uh, expectations weren't necessarily super high for the team, but when you joined the team in in 2001, Alex Zanardi uh, was essentially reuniting with Morris Nunn, and there was very big expectations uh, that this combination would do some magical things. Um, in any way, did that kind of, uh, I guess I would ask, make you guys feel any pressure to to make some of that magic reappear, or did you ever feel? any sort of stress because of that reuniting? Uh, you know, it's, I think no matter who the driver is, you want to, you want it to perform. There's always the, the, that, that deal where you want to, you know, you want this to be the best it can be. But Mm -hmm. I think everybody in there wanted that magic to come back. Uh, you know, that's, that's what put me there. That's what, that's what drew me there. You know, like a moth, you know I mean? That's what drew me there was those two together. I didn't work on that car. Uh, I worked on Kanan's car, uh, with Dave and, uh, Tom Vassie and Duncan Charnell and a bunch of good guys over there. Mm-hmm. And in hindsight, I'm glad I did, right? I, I didn't work with Zanardi. I was still a part of the whole entire the package effort mm-hmm. in the same building, but I'm glad that I worked with the guys that I worked with. And, and, and again, nothing against the other guys. I'm just glad the path that I, t- that I took with them. All right. In, uh, in 2001, Champ Car at that time was literally an international series. You guys are traveling all around the world. For young Sam from Barstow, California, what was that experience like? Uh, I was a rock star, and I wasn't young <laughs> Sam there. I was, uh, I was probably, I don't know, 37. I don't even know what yeah. how old I was, whatever. Uh, fairly young. And I had been to Mexico, and I had been to Canada, but I'd never left the North American continent, I don't think. And... Uh, yeah, it was awesome. It was just awesome uh, to be in Australia and, uh, you know, to go to the places we went. Uh, I saw a lot of places. It, so, you know, it was, it was very cool. I'm not going to lie. Uh, again, it was a slightly different atmosphere than it, than it is now. Everywhere had a festival, mm-hmm. you know, in town. And, yeah, the Canadians were ravenous fans. The uh, Australian Service Paradise was always always a heck of a good time. So yeah, yeah, no, it was really good, really good. 
So with that said, in 2001, traveling internationally, when 9-11 occurred, uh, you guys were in between races. Do you remember where you guys were and kind of what your thoughts were at that point? You know, I, I think I think we hadn't run at Germany yet, actually. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, it's because I it's my record. My, excuse me? I think you guys might have been on your way to Germany. We I'm were not there. Sure what day. And, and mm-hmm. because we had run, because maybe it was setup day, uh, we, we, were, we had come back from the track and we were all in, coming up to the hotel, get off on the floor. Everybody goes to their rooms. Uh, and this young man, Ryan Clare, says, You guys, hey, check this out. Uh, somebody's flown their plane into this building. So we all go in there. It's German TV. And then it, once we looked and realized what was happening, it was just. Uh, it, it, it's amazing. You know, yeah, it was unbelievable, you know, yeah. to like, oh, my God, you know, and uh, long, no one had cell phones. We were using international pay cards and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And and it just shut the world down. Right. But people right. in the United States couldn't get to where we were at. We couldn't get back. Uh, they put armed guards on our assets and not go out. If we went out going groups because no one had any idea what was going on. We were outside the military. We were the largest group of Americans outside the country. That wow. that that package, you know, that 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 race package, everything that went, right. you know, drivers, every. So they were fairly concerned, and uh, yeah. it was it was as uh, it was pretty surreal. Wow. Yeah, you have me still. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So. Uh, you finally get the race going, and in Zanardi seems to be on on pace to win that race in Germany, and then uh, he has just his his tragic, his terrible accident. What was the mood like for guys like yourself on the team? I mean, we it's been well documented just how a lot of people have felt, but you know, people like yourself that were in the situation, what was that mood like? It was um, it was pretty bad. We. We, I'd never seen anything like it. You know, I mean, I'd seen big, some big crashes or, or on TV and wide world of sports and, you know, like that. And, but yeah. literally before the race, we're all laughing and joking. Uh, mm-hmm. we're all standing there laughing, telling jokes, literally, uh, telling yeah. jokes. And then the next minute, uh, you know, 15, 20 minutes later, this car is just blown apart. And, and you know, just tell yourself, there's no way a, a man could survive that, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it was it was tough to see, tough to be a part of. Yeah, do you remember how? Uh, sure. Uh, do you remember how Mo was? Well, they they, they called us a meeting. Uh, we went to the trailer. Uh, everybody, it was, you know, it was pretty obvious. It was it was serious, you know, and and no one no one knew exactly what was happening. And Morris uh, had. <laughs> earlier in his career and had a driver clay rigazzoni who had crashed and become paralyzed because of that mm-hmm. crash right. so so he wasn't a stranger to this but but he, you know and he tried to start off and he said hey these his, his words were these guys are not our friends you know this he knows excuse me <laughs> he knows what he's getting into mm-hmm. right yeah. When he, when, you know, when we put him in that car, that's it, you know? Right. So, and then he, he couldn't, he couldn't carry on truthfully. Uh, so Brad Philby stood up, 
took over the meeting, <clears throat> told us what they knew. You know, he was in bad shape, still alive, but in, in bad shape. And uh, I think they had him in a medically induced coma at that time. And, right, you know, right. things were, it was, it was a pretty bad deal, you know. So <clears throat> we had to make a, <clears throat> racing's a tough place, you know, it's a tough industry. So mm-hmm. had to make a call to get back on the horse and go. You know, do we run? Right. We have a backup car. And there's the next day, the next day, there was guys lined up to drive the car. Johnny Herbert, uh, just there's guys. And that's how it is. You know what I mean? Right. That, that, well, that seat's empty. I'll, I'll drive it if you know, if I can, you know. So yeah. uh, they took a vote of the crew guys. Um it was sad because they couldn't come home. They were, still had to carry on for the rest of the trip. Right. There was and, still another race in England yeah, the following yeah, week. And, and, and we're still at, at 9-11. It was just so – everything right. was so messed up, right? So uh, – and several of them had worked f- with Greg Moore. And mm. uh, they had just – their heart wasn't in carrying on. So right. uh, we, didn't, we didn't run that second car for the remainder of the trip. And, you know, and, and came home and, uh, you know, and, and it was as, as we got back and Alex started to get better and he would call the shop and, you know, just his attitude was always just so positive. He's, you know, he said one time I'm laying on the, on the love seat here. He said, yeah, I'm here laying on the love seat. And he said, yeah, it's all of me is on the love seat, you know? So (laughs) he said, he said, he said, I want to be six feet tall one day. And he said, no, I can't be. Yeah. He just always had just an awesome attitude, you know, just a great, great guy. It's a sparkle in his blue eyes, you know, just, there's an awesome individual, truthfully. Yeah. So, Moving on from 2001, in, in 2002, Mo decides to run one car in Champ Car and one car in the IRL. Uh, which car were you on, and, and how was that decision made? Well, the, the, the Hollywood guys, uh, Dave, I wouldn't stay with Dave, uh, Poppy, and Pop Lars, and I said, I'm going to stay with Dave. So, and he chose the IRL and I said, okay, uh, that's where I'm at. You know, uh, we had a good group of guys, uh, worked well together and I wanted to, you know, continue on with that. It, uh, no one was, I don't think, I think maybe, maybe a couple of people, it was less, it was less sophisticated, let's say than maybe a little less hassle, uh, right. not international and, you know, a little, little closer to the home than, than, uh, than champ car was so there was some draw to that for some guys who had been in it already a long time you know so yeah so i, I was off our rail racing yeah well that kind of leads to the next question i was going to ask is you know there was a difference technologically between the irl car and the champ car um <laughs> and i was going to ask if being assigned to one car or another really reflected one's ability or status on the team but it sounded like it was just more of a preference of the individual crew guys within that organization. Is that accurate? Yeah, the, it just depends on who you talk to. <laughs> the, <laughs> the champ car guys will say, "Yeah, you know, I was I was in champ car. You know, that's, I didn't do IRL, but they were definitely uh, more sophisticated cars, uh, and uh, and really a, a bit more." Uh, international you know a bit more international flair you know i mean so uh i liked champ car but uh i i chose to go with poppy so so it's not necessarily a reflection of anybody's 
talent or status on the team. It was just, you know, oh, I no. want to go this direction. No. Because we yeah. all worked on exactly the same card, you know, the month before and then the split came. So we just had a different right. car to work on, you know, right. it was just a different, different car in the Bay. So yeah, okay. it was, yeah. <laughs> or that's the way I, that's the way I saw it. You know? Right. Okay. So in uh, that same year, 2002, uh, the team entered a second car in the 500. Felipe Giafone was the series regular uh, whose car you were working on. Tony Kanaan also got his opportunity uh, for his first Indy 500 all month long. Both the cars were, were super fast. What were your guys' expectations leading up to that race? You know, just to keep a fast car, we had fast hot rods the the whole month. You're right, and uh, and you know, it's sad that Kanan honestly uh, had the faster car uh, or made the faster driver, whatever. I, I loved working with Felipe. Felipe, he, he was one of my favorite drivers ever, uh, and he was quite fast. And we had good cars, you know. And excuse me, it seemed like we were having a good month. So uh, yeah, it seemed it. And I'm, it's it's heartbreaking the way it ended with the yellow and all that because I think Felipe had it stayed green, Felipe had, would have won that race. But uh, we ended up we ended up third, uh, qualified fourth. Uh, so it was it was a it was a good run for my first Indy 500 uh, with with 10 miles to go. Uh, I thought I was going to win, and Morris mm-hmm. was, Morris was like, "Hey, that's 10 miles is a long time, man. You know, uh, <laughs> it's a long time from turn four to the to the finish line you know as jr proved right. you know it's just be point you come out of the lead and turn four and still not win the race at, at that place so yeah yeah you mentioned this was your first indy 500 what were your personal expectations leading up to race day you know i had been to the indy 500 uh i think twice before that my dad my father and i went and uh uh, he, he passed it, didn't get a chance to see me that go there, you know? So mm-hmm. we, I fit in the car. Uh, so when we towed the car anywhere, I sat in it. So towing mm-hmm. out, towing out, uh, it was a test before the speedway, uh, towing out because we were a new team, uh, towing out of that place with the old, uh, gasoline alley sign there and me in that right. car. It was amazing. Really, it was amazing, right? It was yeah. just amazing <laughs> to come out there. The place was no one in there, and I, and I was like, "The old man's looking down on this, right?" I know he yeah. is. So, no, it was it was very cool. So, to be in that that place is magical. Uh, it, it's a magic awesome. place. So, uh, disappointing end to that race. Um, can you just talk about the the emotions of the teams and? And specifically with Morris, just what the overall mood was after being so close. You know, uh, I I don't know. Uh, I don't. Naturally, everyone was bummed. You know, what I mean, uh, the Canon guys. I have no idea because they were gone back to the garage, and I'm sure they're they're devastated. You know, what I mean, because they were mm-hmm. they were clearly the fast car, and uh, we had had a pit incident early on and, and weren't sure if we're going to re- be able to recover from that. It broke the fuel nozzle off and had some issues. And, uh, so we were, we were struggling to stay where we were at, man. It looks like this is going to be all right, you know? And, um, and to come out of it, once the yellow came out, um, the way it did was, was a little disappointing, right? Because honestly, like I said, with, with 10 miles to go, 
I was pretty sure that I was going to win the first Indy 500 I was ever in. And, yeah. <laughs> and then, to, and then to not, and then to not win it, uh, was, uh, was pretty bad. I've, I've had worse, I've had worse feelings in motor racing, you know, <laughs> 2014 right. or 15 Daytona 24 hours, but that's another story. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, well, on a positive note, later that summer, uh, Monon Racing gets its first win at the Kentucky Speedway. Uh, what was that experience like, uh, you know, being able to assist Morris Nunn as a car owner to get his first win? It was awesome. It was awesome. We had a, we really uh, had a great group of guys. Um, and Felipe was a hell of a driver. I, I always liked, I remembered him from Indy Lights, and he was always he was always a hot rod, you know, and, and that day it just worked for us. Uh, was, it was good stops, good strategy. Uh, Aaron Nelson talking on the radio, the spotter and, you know, and, uh, Felipe at the wheel, you know, and it was, it was very cool to get a, a win in big time racing. You know, it wasn't my yeah. first one. So it was, uh, it was, it was very cool. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and it was at, at, uh, the Belterra. So, we stay at the casino, so that's you know we had to stay up and drink all night. So you know how that nice. goes. <laughs> Almost mandatory. Yeah, you mentioned how Morris was pretty laid back mm. and you know very down to earth. Did he break out of his shell at all after that win, or was he just still calm, cool? <laughs> he's pretty calm, well. cool man. Pretty <laughs> calm, cool. He was, he's uh, he was pretty cool cat. Yeah, pretty honestly, that's I didn't have a lot of personal interaction with him. I mean, we spoke and. I mean, I like the crew chief spoke with him daily and whatnot, but, and, but he always treated me fairly. He was always, but, and we laughed and make fun of each other. I tell them occasionally that, that they would be speaking German if it wasn't for us. And he would, <laughs> he would reply in some expletive filled, uh, you know, comments. And yeah, so we had fun. The, the, the place was fun. You know, uh, yeah. one of the first things that go on the, the truck was the espresso machine. I don't know how much <laughs> espresso they drank. Uh, he and Zanardi in the truck, uh, but it was the first time I I was thirty something years old. I'd never even had one, so I. Had, but that was mandatory. It, it, <laughs> we forgot the cars. Okay, the cars are not okay, but the espresso machine. Okay, then we're we're going to make it. Then go get the cars. <laughs> but the, as long as the espresso machine is here, it's all good. You no, know, and and like I said earlier, uh, golf fanatic. Uh, you know, yeah. golf it, it was his it was his deal. You know, and racing. But, yeah. Yeah, so he was a good guy. In uh, 2003, you guys brought home Moe's second win with uh, Alex Barron at Michigan. A really, really exciting race. I, if I recall correctly, it was a duel with uh, Sam Hornish and Thomas Schechter. And at one point, uh, Barron spun out fighting for the lead, uh, but he eventually did win that race. Um, just what were some of the emotions and excitement that went through you guys as that race was going on? Uh, you know, it was, it's hard for me to specific. A lot of guys can pull them out specifically. Oh yeah. That, you know, and what I remember, what I remember the most, uh, is Aaron Nelson, the spotter talking to Alex, uh, that last bit and through the spin. Oh, you got it. And he was, Aaron was, if you listen to it on the, if you hear it on the clips, the YouTube clips and whatnot, Aaron just, mm -hmm. just talks him through it, you know, and, and okay, okay, let's go. You know, he just gets him going again and okay, and let's go. And, and, and back to the pack. And it was, 
you know, it, uh, I liked running Alex Barron as well. He was a, a California cat. He, for somehow, I don't know if his family or whatever had something to do with uh, Basket Robbins, but every race weekend, uh, one day a styrofoam container would show up with package it with Baskin Robbins ice cream in it. So whatever races he, he drove, I don't know, five, six, seven races, whatever he, he, we always, he would always have Baskin Robbins ice cream shipped in on dry ice. So we always had ice cream after the, <laughs> after the session, you know, on Saturday or whatever. So I, I don't know. I don't know, but it was very cool of him to do that, yeah. you know? So, uh, That's awesome. yeah, he, once he, once he, uh, he was in the car because Felipe had been hurt in a, in a big crash. And, uh, <laughs> uh, once he won, in that car, Felipe, Felipe, uh, he needed to get back in. He rushed his, he rushed his healing a little bit, uh, even to the point of maybe too much, but he wasn't mm-hmm. going to have anybody else winning in that car, but Felipe Giafoni. So yeah. uh, that's the way competitors are. Yeah. So, uh, career highlight personally for you, maybe a low light, um, with the Monon team, uh, at one point, you were dragged down pit lane. I know, I know you don't necessarily remember the incident <laughs> from personal recollection, but uh, talk about where that was, what happened, and I, I don't know uh, I when, guess how the team took care of you. You know, so when when you and I were talking about it earlier, you said Nazareth, and I don't, I don't think Nazareth. Uh, I know at at Mile High at uh, Denver, there Felipe thought he should. Oh, Pikes Peak. He he he. Uh, Felipe saw Thomas Schechter leaving in the mirrors and thought he should go. And I was still plugged in and <laughs> took a pretty good sized ride, had a little fire, guys throwing water, you know, and uh, yeah, the, so I was soaking wet and the fire was out. And uh, one of the guys, Mike Ellis, he looked at he said, he said, well, Sam, I already had the bucket and the water. He said, so I just, yeah. I just threw it on you anyhow, you know, uh, <laughs> but yeah, kill the radio, kill the radio. But luckily I was all right. And, but Felipe, he said, man, I'm, I have a pretty good picture down here in that basement there. He signed and he said, man, I'm sorry. I tried to kill you that day, you know? And, but he said, yeah. he said, I, I thought it was time to go. He said, I saw Schechter going, uh, you know, so I had to go. Uh, the one, the one, in the the uh, at the speedway in two thousand two, uh, that I, I I have a pretty good uh, photo montage of it. Uh, you know, it, and it ended ended up uh, framing one and put it in the shop. It went badly uh, in a hurry, and and so the vent handle got stuck in the side of the car. And in those days, it had an air air jack and the fuel vent, and it's very mm-hmm. tight tolerances. You know, and as soon as the car moved the the vent was stuck you know and it took off and that's it and so we were concerned about it being broken off in there or whatever and so it wasn't everything went fine we get through the race we finished third and morris in his old school you know and want to know what's happening we're out there one day in the shop he says so sam what what happened he said do you have one of the vents i saw i went and i got the the vent probe and uh plugged it into the car and I pulled back on it just a little bit, just to like not even not a lot, just to get it cocked in that in that sleeve. And I let go of it, and it stayed in, just like it hmm. did on race day, right? So, and he said, mm-hmm. "Okay, you know, he just wanted to know if I didn't get it clear, or." And I said, "No, it, it hung up in the it hung up in the side." And then shortly yeah. after that, um, things went to a single probe got rid of that uh, second vent, you know, right. for the fuel. So, yeah, but he was very, that's the way he was. He was, he said, well, you know, let, let me see what, and that's what happened. Oh, and it stuck in the tub 
like it did. And he said, okay, I get it. Yeah. He, right. he was, he, we were at Phoenix, uh, testing. He said, yeah, lap times are my further number 19 seconds. He said, Sam, mm-hmm. the second, 20 years ago, I ran here. The lap times were 19 seconds. He said, now I have all these computers. I have all this stuff. He said, the lap times, they're still 19 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, he, he uh, you know, that's the way he, that's the way he was. He was, uh, yeah, he was that's old cool. school. So after the 2003 season, you parted ways from the team. Was that a decision you made or just the economics of racing? What happened? Economics of racing. You know, the, the Hollywood money uh, uh, stopped. And, you know, and basically that, that was that, you know. So, and they, they weren't, they weren't going to get rid of guys on the other side to put Hollywood guys in, you know, those guys already had their team right. for, for going on a third season. So, so, uh, yeah, that was the end of it. And, um, you know, on to, uh, the next gig. All right. What was the, uh, the greatest takeaway you would say from that experience working with Moan on racing? Man. Uh, honestly, I don't, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> golf is, and, and don't feel golf, pressure to golf is, make a one golf thing is life. You know what I mean? I know that more. I know yeah. one thing Morris Morris, uh, was about golf. You know, that, that yeah. was, uh, Catherine and golf were his, his, uh, passions and then racing was something he did, you know, but, but the, the yeah. golf, uh, and Catherine, they, they were high on his priority list. So, yeah. Uh, I, I enjoyed working for him. I'm I'm glad that uh, I put a I put a lot of effort into getting there. I'm glad I got there. I respected him, worked hard for him. If he went and said, "Hey, we want to try and lift this semi truck up," I think everybody would have gone out there and tried to lift it. You know, I'm just because that's what Doc wants. You know what I mean? So let's see if we can do this, right? So now it was an awesome experience, and to be my first year in racing to be there was uh, was even better. So a lot of race teams, I shouldn't say a lot of race teams, but it's pretty special when you have a team that comes together and becomes more than a team, but, you know, a a family in a sense. And there's very few examples of that uh, from the 90s. I know people that worked with PacWest, they still keep in close touch today. People that worked in Newman Haas, always part of the Newman Haas family Um, with Mo Nun Racing. And Morris is passing away uh, several days ago. Um, has there been any sort of reuniting, people reaching out, things like that? No, not 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 really. I mean, we. Uh, I've been in touch with Catherine a little bit, and she sent me the. You know, she said if you guys are out, and I know it's a long ways back there, and they're having a celebration of his life. I think I think the twelfth of this month, and. Um, through Facebook and social media and the word got out and, um, a couple of text messages here and there, but he's Morris was in bad shape for quite a while. And truthfully, he's in right. a better place. You know, he, he fought the good fight and, uh, and, and now he's in a better place. So, and yeah. I, yeah, I don't, I don't know that we would do that. You know, not the guy's. It'd be great too, but you know, I don't, I don't, I don't think that would happen. You know, so. So Sam, it's it's been a pleasure having you with us. Thank you for taking the time, sharing the stories about your your personal experiences with with Morris Nunn. Uh, you think this is something you'd want to do again? 
Oh yeah, I was going to say that when I when I left Morris's or when Morris's deal ended, uh, I went over to another deal as a family. I'm lucky that the teams I've worked for, I never worked for Penske or Target or uh, Team Cool Green or Andretti where there was 100 guys. Everywhere I worked was a family, 30 guys maybe, Morris's. And my next gig, uh, Panther Racing, a place that you're probably familiar with, with with the Barnes Barnes family, (laughs) another another, uh, great family, uh, another owners that try treated me well and I, I had much respect for and the same with the Dorcott family that I worked for in lights mm-hmm. it was just a, a family operation probably probably not 20 guys in the whole shop you know so right. I, I never really worked for a big big teams I only worked full-time for three teams and then went to doing freelance stuff after uh, the deal at Panther so yeah mm-hmm. so I always liked being not being being what you what you did made an effort you know what i mean made a right. made a difference you know what i mean not uh you're number 17 in the line you know what i mean there's you get lost in the line you know what i mean i want to be like hey what you're doing right now is making a difference because there's only 10 of us you know what i'm saying so uh right. so that's that's where i liked it yeah well, it sounds like you still have quite a few stories that you could share. I'm hoping that uh, we could have you back sometime. Yeah, on a, yeah. I'll, or, I'll try to remember. <laughs> I would definitely, I would definitely, you know, what, yeah, I would definitely come back. Uh, I have some. Uh, I think we can drum up some some road trip stories from from uh, Panther Racing. <laughs> as long as they don't involve me, we're good. Oh no, you don't know how to involve you. <laughs> I know it's been a pleasure, man. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you. Well, we hope you enjoyed our first podcast episode with Humans of Racing. Thanks for tuning in. Special thanks to Sam Goldsmith for taking the time to tell us a little bit about himself and also about his days with Monon Racing. And of course, our hearts go to the family and survivors of Morris Nunn's family. Be sure to check back in with us. Follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. The username is Humans of Racing 5. And again, find our videos on YouTube. Just search Humans of Racing. Thanks again, and we'll see you guys soon.